Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. episode is airing on Tuesday, March 1st, 2022. Hello everyone, it's Shannon back with you again to talk about some new books and to share an author interview. Today I am really excited to let you hear an interview that I did with author Denise Williams about her second novel, The Fastest Way to Fall. And if you, like me, are not a big fan of novellas, Denise has some really good recommendations that can hopefully change that. So, let's get into the housekeeping information, followed by the interview, and then I will be back to talk about new books. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am very, very excited to be talking with author Denise Williams about her novel, The Fastest Way to Fall, which is scheduled to release here in the U.S. on November 2nd. Denise, thank you so much for agreeing to chat with me today. Thanks so much for having me. You're very welcome. Could you start out... Um, giving listeners a little bit of an introduction to The Fastest Way to Fall? Sure. So The Fastest Way to Fall uh, centers our heroine, Britta, who is a fat woman who is mostly happy with her body. And that's kind of important as the story goes on because she is a journalist who is charged with reviewing a body positive fitness app. Um, she wants to move up in her career. This is kind of her big shot. And so she decides to uh, join this uh, online program and enter in her goals and work with a, a virtual personal trainer. And our hero, Wes, is the virtual personal trainer who also happens to own the company um, and is dealing with his own things in his life around kind of figuring out what he wants to do professionally, dealing with some family um, drama and issues and concerns. And so uh, their relationship starts out in earnest. There's definitely instant chemistry, but it is kind of epistolary at the beginning. They're chatting through the app. They're texting. Um, they're talking about fitness and nutrition, but uh, they're really just getting to know each other and then eventually start working out in person and the sparks continue to grow all the while he does not know that she's reviewing his company and she does not know that he owns the company. Um, and so as they move through, they get to know each other, they fall in love. And really the story is at its core about strength. I get asked a lot um, for the heroine, is it a tale about weight loss? And it definitely is not that. Um, I don't think weight really ever even comes up in the book. It's not the focus of the heroine, but it's really about strength and those moments where we feel strong 
and the people that we surround ourselves that help us to feel stronger. And so while Britta is realizing a lot of her physical strength and abilities, Wes is also learning kind of his emotional strength and resilience, and they really help each other in kind of all aspects. So I really love this book. It's kind of the book of my heart. There's a lot of my own story in this, and that's just a, a little bit about it. It's a slow burn, so you get a lot of yearning, um, a lot of uh, romantic and sexual tension going through, and then you get a three-chapter payoff physically once you get there. Ooh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love how much technology and social media have kind of been making their their way into not only romance, but just fiction in general these days. I feel like for a long time, it was a big part of our lives, but it didn't it didn't feel like it factored into fiction as much as it has, I would say, in the past like couple of years. And I just I love that. I love seeing the ways characters can use technology to like better their lives, to enhance their lives in, in so many different ways. I agree. And, you know, I, I did a poll on social media because I was curious because in this book they're you know, they're meeting virtually. So when you first see them interacting, it's over email, it's over text, it's over uh, you know, chats in the app. And the way that we can make ourselves kind of swoon and sigh, thinking about those own moments when we're getting that text from a crush or, you know, waiting for that new message to pop up. That's so part of our experience that yes. belongs in love stories. Like those are the tingles. Like those can, you know, really evoke, um, you know, the the good feelings of thinking about, you know, the process of falling in love and dating and what that looks like now. Well, and I think it makes the stories a lot more relatable to people who are, you know, kind of living in that like virtual space where a lot of how we get to know people these days is virtually. And so when we can see that and it can remind us, like you said, of like our own experiences, that makes, I think, a huge difference in how relatable a story is or isn't. I sure hope so. I mean, I love to read that in stories. And so I wrote that in this story and I, it's really fun to write flirting via text message because it's just all in what you say. And so thinking about, you know, how emojis can replace a real wink and still make it effective. I also really like the idea of having like the first part be kind of epistolary. Um, I think, you know, there used to be a lot of like epistolary historical fiction mm-hmm. and I haven't seen as much of it lately. Um, so I really like, you know, even those kind of hints of it that show up, you know, when you're seeing like people interacting in that way. Um, I think it does sort of add that extra layer of like you really have to pay attention to the communication. Yeah, and I like that there's different medium, too. So uh, they chat in the app, they text, they email. So there's a few different ways. Uh, but the added layer to that is because uh, the heroine is a journalist She's also writing all of this uh, for her magazine. And so she's not just reviewing the app, but kind of writing about her journey. And Mm -hmm. so all of her chapters um, start out with an excerpt from a social media post, whether it's her talking about, you know, getting, um, you know, getting on the treadmill for the first time or shopping for a sports bra or, you know, reflecting on some of her own experiences with body stuff um, or just whatever. So you also kind of see her writing to her audience. And I, for me, that's where you actually get to see a lot of the heroine's kind of growth and her journey is in what she's sharing in these posts. So it really uses kind of a lot of a lot of different media, which, again, most of us are pretty used to consuming on a daily basis. 
as I'm listening to you talk about this, I'm thinking we are planning a social media episode for the podcast um, in a couple of weeks. And when I first like read your book, I was like, oh, you know, it, it has like this really cool like social media layer. And now like I'm actually hearing you talk about it. I'm like, yes, like that would be like a perfect thing to highlight during that episode. So I think I will oh, add fun. it to my list of. <laughs> Thank you. I love that. Yes. Of social media books, because um, I'm trying to, you know, make it like kind of a combination of like you know, some romance, some thrillers, maybe some YA. Oh, and yeah. I love how much of a social media presence like you have in the book. So I think we'll just shift it over into that <laughs> pile for that episode. So when you when you wrote your first book which came out last year. Yes. And then you sat down to write this one. Did you notice kind of a shift like in your own writing? Like were there things that you learned from writing your first book that you carried over into your second book? Or did the second book feel very much like a completely clean slate for you? Oh, no, I learned so much from writing my first book. Um, my How to Fail Flirting was the first novel that was published. It was also the first novel I ever wrote. And when I was drafting that, thank you, uh, I didn't know what I was doing. It was a trash heap for a very long time, and then it got better. Um, So when I sat down to write the second, I had learned so much from, you know, from writing partners, from craft books, from just kind of being in the writing world, um, about character arcs, and I actually plotted it. I ignored my plotting, but I did start with one. Um, About just so many things. And so this one, uh, this book, I actually drafted almost all of it in one month. Um, oh, wow. I, I started it as a national novel writing book while we were, while I was trying to get a literary agent for the first book. So um, it was really just to keep my mind off of that process. And I started doing it as a you know, NaNoWriMo National Novel Writing Month project. And I wrote 90,000 words in one month and finished it the next month. And then it was way too long and then spent, you know, months editing it. But yeah, I definitely learned a lot from the first book, but it was really more about the writers I got to know and what I learned from them just in terms of making a story good and making the tension better and making the characters more well-rounded and keeping conflict. And I'm definitely still learning those. My, um, I have three novellas out next summer and a novel out next year that I can talk about. But as I've drafted those, um, that process really went even faster because I just feel like I've learned so much from so many talented people. I would love to talk to you briefly about novellas because I feel like they must be really tricky to write. I know that as a reader, I often shy away from them because I feel like you just sort of get invested in the story and then it's done. So I'm wondering when you actually were writing them, like how did you, how did you form them in a way where you felt like people could still kind of have that time to become invested in your characters and their story but still make it into like a novella length book. Yeah, it's kind of a challenge. And when I sat down, I really thought, you know, what, what's the story I want to tell and what is the core of it? And so while I love having lots of side plots and side characters in my novels, like this was, you know, pretty tight on what the core was. And so that helped for me. Um, so as I think about um, the first one and all of these take place in and around an airport um, and kind of thinking about like connecting flights and connections and all of that. And so the first one, the love connection was about an airport dog groomer and the guy she's been scoping out who's a frequent flyer, her Diet Coke break. 
as what I called it. Um, and so the story just really stays with them. And I tried to make the timeline a little longer. So you get to see them over different time periods. Cause I'm the same way. Sometimes I do shy away from novellas cause I want to spend more time with my characters. I want right. to you know, really see that relationship grow. And so I think the challenge was definitely, you know, giving them, picking out the moments that were meaningful for them to really show them coming together. So you see the flirting and you see the, the bond forming and you see the friendship strengthen and they have kind of that crisis moment um, without it feeling too rushed. And I hope I accomplished that. This is my first um, novellas that I've written. So um, I can chat with you again in, in May. You can tell me how I did. <laughs> did you like sit down intending to write a novella or were they originally like novel length things that you then like trimmed down? Uh, no, these ones I planned as novellas. Um, and um, the timeline on these was actually pretty short. I think we pitched the idea in April, maybe, or March. And then I, I wrote the first two kind of over the summer and the fall. But no, I planned these as novellas. So that helped too, because if I think about moving a full length novel idea into a novella, I don't, I don't know that I could do it effectively because there's just cutting so much. Yeah, it kind of so makes me sad. Too. Like it makes me think like all those things that were cut out, like I wonder what they were. <laughs> Yeah. And so this, like, you know, other than editing, nothing was cut out. I always planned for it to be this length and I knew this would be the story. And I felt like I still really got to know my characters and to give them some rich backstory, but also to give them just lots of moments on the page together that I think readers are going to, I hope, uh, you know, that combination of swoony and yearning and funny and sexy and that, um, you know, that we like in romance novels. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful romance novels. And there are like a couple of really great romances coming out in November. So I am super excited. Usually November is kind of like a meh month for me because it's all yeah. like the Christmas books are coming and I just want to like hide my head while <laughs> <laughs> the Christmas books. But yours is coming in November and the new Sarah Desai is coming. Um, yeah. and there's like a couple of new paranormals and a new Sophie Cousins. So it's just, it's a, it's a good month. Yeah, and two um, two debuts are coming out this month, which is really exciting. <gasps> um, the Donut Trap by Julie Tu comes out the same day as mine. Oh, um, I saw that. And I got to read that one. It's just a beautiful, it, it's romance, but I would say that energy for me was really coming of age and kind of being in your early 20s and trying to figure it out. Um, and family dynamics, it's it's a gorgeous book. It's so much fun. And then um, later in the month, Love Lists and Fancy Ships. Uh, by Sarah Grunder Ruiz. Uh, oh, that, one that one's from Berkeley. really good. I haven't read it yet, but every, because it's, it's on my TBR, I'm trying to get to it while I'm on deadline. But um, Sarah is so lovely and so funny. And everything I've read about this is just, I think it's going to blow people out of the water. Yes, I saw the, the synopsis for it when I was looking at the list of books coming out in November. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, this looks so, so fun. So that's one I definitely plan to uh, pick up when it when it comes out. Oh, I also great. really like its title. I know. Isn't it cute? And the cover is, is so fun. And I got a sneak peek at her next cover and I'm just already in love with it. So, uh, oh. yeah, she's, she's amazing. Yes, I will have to keep an eye out as it gets closer to that release day. I feel like they did a really good job this year of kind of like balancing out the holiday books with like other books. Um, and so November didn't feel quite as meh to me as it, it <laughs> often does. 
I can't comment because I'm so new, but mine came out December 1 last year. And if memory yes. starts, November was kind of a, they didn't do much in November with with the election and with so much going on in the world. And they just right. kind of, not a ton came out in November. And so I'm just excited to get a little earlier in the year. Yes, you're, you're moving up just a little bit yeah. from December <laughs> to November. Bit. So are you a romance reader yourself? Is that what kind of drew you to writing romance or did something else kind of pull you in that direction? Uh, yeah, I am now. I would say I've always loved love stories. I always loved Happily Ever After. And I was a voracious romance reader, probably of some books I was maybe not quite old enough to read when I was uh, uh-huh. you know, 11, 12, 13. Um, and then I got into reading other things. I got into horror and thrillers and um just all kinds of different reading. And then I got to college and graduate school and I didn't have time to read anything that wasn't in my textbooks. Um, and I actually really didn't come back to romance until about 2014, 2015, uh, when I um, moved and I ended up with a, you know, a commute. So I was spending an hour and a half in the car every day and I started listening to audiobooks. And I, I bounced uh. around different genres, but then I landed on romance novels. I think I swallowed whole Mariana Zapata's entire catalog and and then I was hooked. And then in 2016, I'd had my son and was kind of feeling buried and momming and work and everything that was happening in 2016. And I just sat down to write a story. And of course, it was a love story because that's what I was reading at that point. And I just thought it would be like a short little, short little story. And then I just kept doing it and I kept coming back to it. And as I was writing, I felt like I was connecting to myself again, um, that I was finding a piece of myself that I'd kind of set aside to do the mom and the work and the 2016 thing. And so now I pretty much, I won't say exclusively read romance, but that's 99% of what I read. Um, I love the different ways that people shape it from the spicy books to the sweet, but not spicy books to the, um, you know, paranormal and and romantic suspense to rom-coms like uh, the happily ever after is kind of what I'm in it for. And I actually teach a, I work at a university. I teach a class on romance novels and social justice and how romance novels are a tool for promoting social justice. And so that's been awesome, not only to talk about social justice, which is a passion um, and the training, but also to introduce all these college students to romance. And that has been just a blast. I wish that when I had been in college, like in the early 2000s, that there would have been a class like that. Like the closest I could get is like a women in literature class. And it was not like the kind of literature <laughs> <Not> that, that. <laughs> no, no, you know, it was, it was valuable literature, certainly, but it wasn't yeah. the type of literature that you kind of like curl up with and find just incredibly readable in the way that you can find like romance or women's fiction. Um, and now I hear, you know, so many people talk about like that wider reach when they're looking at the types of books discussed in universities. And I just, I wish that that had been me. I know, same. I was in college at the same time, and the closest I got was a an honors seminar class on intimate communication, and to teach it, we watched rom-coms, like old-school okay. rom-coms, and then, you know, applied the theories of communication, which was fantastic. My professor from that, I think, still works at my institution, and so I probably should find him at some point and be like, hey, your class kind of set off this career for me, um, but... Uh, that is, yeah, that's such a fun class to teach, and I teach it with a friend of mine who is a voracious romance reader. Um, and so we'll be doing that again in the spring. This will be our third time teaching it. That is awesome. I think people can learn so much. And I think it can also go 
quite a ways to sort of destigmatizing romance. You know, a lot of people. Yes, definitely. A lot of people kind of cringe away when you talk about something being a romance novel. And they're like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't read that. Like, okay. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the number of, the number of, (laughs) the number of even just my friends who, friends or colleagues are like, oh, I picked up your book. I've never read a romance before. This is my first romance or um, all of this. And I cracked up a a good friend of mine was a Navy SEAL and um, he's retired now, but he posted that he bought my book and read it. It's his first romance. And, you know, here's why men in the military should be picking up these books. And (laughs) it was great to like read. And um, so I guess it's cool to help folks find the genre. But yeah, romance definitely gets that. Um, that side eye sometimes. And for me, I think about when I started writing it, I definitely whispered it. And when they asked what it was about, I would even in this quieter voice say, it's kind of steamy. And now (laughs) I I don't, I don't whisper it anymore. If somebody asks me, I'm, I'm very proud of my books. I'm proud of what I write. And, you know, I'll tell them, oh, it's a romance novel and here's what it's about. And it, you know, it puts a light on healing and, and survivors. My first book featured a survivor of domestic violence. Um, but I talk about it at a normal volume. I don't quiet what I write or like kind of protect people from that. And that's right. gone pretty well. And I'm amazed at the number of people who say, oh, I read romance. I love romance or something like that who I maybe wouldn't expect to. Yeah, it's interesting. You either find the people who have like fully embraced the genre or you find the people who are just like, no, you know, I can't I can't read that. Like it doesn't have enough substance or, it, you know, whatever people come up with to, to say about romance, but I feel like they're kind of the two camps of people. Either people love it or they don't. Yeah. And I find most people who ardently hate it don't have read it. <laughs> that, that's very true. That's very Which true. Which is true. I'd say of most genres um, of books, because books are all just so different to say, I don't read mysteries. There's just not enough to them. Or I don't read thrillers. There's just not enough to them. Like you're like, that doesn't make any sense. So. Well, in well. romance, you know, there's, like so many different kinds of romance, as you were saying, like so many different subgenres of it that you can like pretty much any kind of book and find it in romance. Like if you like mysteries, you can go toward like the romantic suspense. If you like fantasy, you have you know, paranormal. There are historicals, you know, there are romances set in small towns, in big cities, like everywhere. Oh, exactly. Yeah, there's so much to it. And so it, it's a really fun genre to be a part of. And it's a community I really appreciate. So aside from the novellas that you have coming out next year, you also said that you have a novel. Um, is there anything that you can tell listeners about that? Yeah. So um, my third uh, novel will be out uh, next uh, September, and it's called Do You Take This Ooh, Man? Ooh, moving you... further in the year. I know, right? I'm moving up. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The first chapter is actually in the back of the physical copy of The Fastest Way to Fall. And uh, this book centers uh, the heroine's best friend, RJ, who is an attorney. And um, in the book, she's a divorce attorney who loves her job, um, but also through some kind of happenstance ends up facilitating a uh, wedding in the park like or uh, officiating it um, that ends up going viral. And so then she finds herself in the place of being uh, kind of you know, tough as nails, divorce attorney, who is also kind of a viral wedding sensation. And so in that space, uh, through, again, some happenstance, she ends up um, performing these weddings and actually learns she kind of likes it, but she ends up having to work with a kind of dude bro 
Uh, I'm not supposed to describe him as a dude bro, because I guess that's off-putting, but that's really who he is in the beginning. A dude bro event planner who used to work for the NFL, um, whose life kind of fell apart, and now he is home and planning weddings for his cousin's event planning company. And they hate each other from beginning to end, like from the very beginning. It's an enemies to lovers, enemies with benefits situation. Uh, but of course, you know, they fall in love because it's romance. But along the way, they're both just kind of um, sharp. There's a lot of banter. There's a lot of back and forth. There is a lot of steam in it. Definitely not a slow burn on this one. Um, so there's a lot of heat in the book. Um, but they're just really fun characters who are struggling with their own things. And, you know, she kind of stays tough as nails and he figures out very quickly he's not a dude bro and their their dynamic is a lot of fun. So I'll be excited for readers to get that one in the fall of 23, or fall of 22. That's awesome. Do you know if they put the um, the first chapter at the end of the audiobook of The Fastest Way to Fall or is it just in the, the print? You know, that's a good question. I don't think the first chapter of the next book is in the audiobook. Uh, it wasn't for the first one anyway, but I, I'm not sure. I haven't actually heard the audiobook yet, so I'm not positive, but I don't think so. Okay. I know that sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't, so it's always a, a good thing to ask. Um, we do a lot of audiobooks here on the podcast, and so we talk about, you know, narrators and about the ways audiobooks are produced. So it would be good to know. You know, I should ask, because like I said, I, I haven't heard it yet. Um, I am really excited about the narrators. I listen to a ton of audiobooks. And so I know last year when I got my copy, early copy of the audio, that was almost more exciting than holding the physical book. And so I remember my son was sitting in the car and he's like, why are you crying when that lady's talking on the on the radio? <laughs> <laughs> One of the scenes that was safe for my kids to be in the car with me for And so um, I'm excited to hear this one. The, the narrators are um, Njima Camera and Teddy Hamilton. Oh, and Teddy then, Hamilton um, is so, so good. I know. I, I love him. And I've heard more of his um, than Ms. Camera's, but um, I just love her style. And so I'll be excited about the dynamic they bring. And then I got to narrate the author's note, which for me was just like a total rock star moment of <laughs> feeling like a total rock star being in the studio. And uh, so I'll be curious how that turns out. I might never listen to myself, but it's going to be on there. That's pretty cool. I've actually talked to some authors who have narrated their own audio um, and have had, you know, different experiences with that. Some of them like it a lot. Some of them you know, not so much. But it seems to be overall an experience that people are glad that they have kind of that like extra layer of participation in their books that you don't usually get. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think I'd be uh, skilled enough to do much beyond that author's note, which was a page and a half. But I am so in awe of narrators and the way they just bring a story to life and, you know, how they can do different people's voices and make multiple people feel very real. And, you know, it's so immersive. I'm, I'm a total audiobook lover. I love audiobooks. Audiobooks are amazing just in terms of accessibility, but also in terms of just giving people more options for for reading you know that you don't yes. just have to like sit still on your couch and read you can put in an audiobook and drive or cook or do housework or you know whatever you need to do in your day completely yes I love that and the um especially because from I will have a large print edition of my book but it won't be out until February and so um, again with like the accessibility it just makes that a little more accessible to more people it's true 
And I think, you know, technology, as we were talking about earlier, technology has done that in so many ways because before audiobooks and ebooks, like accessibility was like almost nil. Mm-hmm. You know, and you had to wait for such a long time for things to be put into specialized format. You know, books had to be yes. recorded by the Library of Congress. And you could wait, you know, a year to two years for a book to be produced. And that's if it was. Mm-hmm. At all, because yeah. not not every book that came out, you know, was picked up by the Library of Congress. So, like, maybe it would be if it was by a best-selling author, your chances were better. But just, you know, the, the hundreds of books that come out each year. Oh, gosh, each um, week. <laughs> right. You only get like a fraction of those done in specialized format. And then you wait such a long time. So you're not reading the same things that other people are reading, because by the time you get it, you know, people have already read it like two years ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I have loved the like same day, you know, release of like audiobooks and ebooks because it means that I can read the same things that other people are reading like at the same time. And you know, like it's access- accessibility is just important for so many reasons, but it's also it makes so much sense to do it that way. Um, you know, even just from a sales perspective and from uh, people being able to be excited. So I'm yeah, I'm I love it. I'm excited to hear the audiobook. I'm just eagerly refreshing my email to wait till I get a hopefully early copy. Ah, yes. So do you have a favorite trope to either read or to write? I do. Um, I'm new to it, but I think Enemies to Lovers is my favorite to read if it's done in a way that they're really enemies. So, um, so much of, of, Enemies to Lovers is sometimes just like miscommunication and then it's over. I really mm-hmm. want them to actively dislike each other for legitimate reasons. And the, the book I have coming out next fall, which is Enemies to Lovers, in their first encounter, they run into each other and she calls him all sorts of expletive names and he tells her she should smile more. And like that's their meet cute and they hate each other oh dear. From, like the get go. <laughs> and it, I, I, he takes it back later and um, he regrets it immediately. But um you know, like that's their meet cute. They really actively dislike each other for that first chunk of the book. And those are the kind of enemies to lovers stories I like to read where you see them really have this 180. Um, and, and writing those, that was my first time with it was a lot of fun because it's kind of a challenge of how do you make your characters legitimately dislike the other person while the reader still likes them. Right. I feel like there's a certain component of enemies to lovers that turned into like bully romance. Yeah. Which. I, I haven't ever really gotten behind. Um, and so I feel like that is a challenge to kind of create characters who do not like each other, but who don't come across as like terrible people who are doing unforgivable things. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you're in a dual perspective, you see the reason. So you, you know, as the reader, you know why he said that, you know, right. exactly why that speaks to his backstory and you know why she was so frustrated. Um, but that, that was a lot of fun to write. And then one of my novellas is uh, Enemies to Lovers um, with um, professional academic rivals who are forced Ooh. to travel together. So that will be the second in that series. That is pretty cool. I think one of my favorites recently has been like the whole fake dating thing. Oh, yeah, um, I love that. Yes, there have been like so many good fake dating stories in the past few years. And yeah, so I fake just dating. keep like 
it's keep hoping like more keep coming. Fake dating, like marriage of convenience. I, I have yet to think of a reason, not even a reason, just like a way that I could tell one of those stories, but I love reading them. They're just, they're so fun because there's like that kind of added layer of like, you know, trying to keep your story straight and like, okay, this is supposed to be your boyfriend. Like what, what's the, what's the history behind it? You know, and it's like, it, so much goes wrong in such a, a lovely way. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned Mariana Zapata and that, you know, you kind of blew through her backlist. Do you have other authors that you kind of feel are sort of like your, I don't know, like the romances that really speak to you, the romances that make you fall in love with the genre again and again? Yeah, um, Definitely a few of those older um, Mariana Zapata books like Colty and The Wall of Winnipeg and Me I'll listen to over and over again. Um, I love Christina Laura and I posted something on TikTok the other day. I think I have every book they've ever written. Um, and uh, part of those I won in kind of a giveaway and then I've just kept buying them. Um, but Dark Wild Night is one of my favorite there. And I don't even think it's one of their more super popular books, but it's it's nerds in love. It's so beautifully written. It's so high heat. There's just so many swoony moments. I just could read that over and over again, and I have. Um, uh, Cherish Read has two, three books out. Um, the Right Escape, um, The um, Trust Falling for You, and oh gosh, I'm blanking on her other one, um, her third one. But I just love how she writes and how she crafts characters, and they're always um, Black women, um, in these different situations there's such good humor and such good heart um, that she's an author I just love and and we work together on um, mentoring for a program called Pitch Wars which is with new authors and so she's a friend of mine too I'll put that out there but um, her writing is just so lovely that um, it's definitely easy to get lost in and and there's so many others but those are a few that come to mind immediately. And have you read anything recently that you think the world should know about? Oh, yeah. Um, well, just a couple days ago, Well Matched came out by Jen DeLuca. Yeah. Third. Yeah. In the Renaissance Fair series. Um, the they put my quote on the cover and I think it was um, book boyfriend goals in a kilt. And I just absolutely <laughs> love this book. I thought it was so fun and so sweet. And it's an older heroine, um, younger hero. And it just, again, has a lot of heart, a lot of heat, which is what I look for in books. And so that one is a lot of fun. Um, a couple that are coming out in the early spring. Um, oh. I'm so not over you by Kosoko Jackson. Um, it's coming from Berkeley in February, I think. Um, oh. uh, Lease on, uh, on Love is from Fallon Ballard. That is um, roommates. It's full of millennial angst. I'm a little too old. I feel like to relate to those characters as much as I did. It's so good. Nerdy hero. I devoured it in one night. I stayed up to like three in the morning. And Ooh. then um, Savvy Sheldon Feels Good as Hell is a debut. Actually, all of these are debuts um, by Taj McCoy. And that one is coming in March as well. It's March. And that is really about, um, it really is about self-care and what that looks like um, as a woman, as a woman in love. And it's so lovely. And Taj is the delight. So those are three I've read fairly recently that are all coming out early in the spring. And then Jen's just came out and, I'm under deadline right now and I'm reading things every day and I'm blanking on what I even read, but those are a few that come immediately to mind. I always love asking authors for book recommendations because you guys have so many that are fantastic. One of my (laughs) favorite things to ask people. 
Well, yay. I hope everybody goes to read all of those. I hope they do, too. I know that I will definitely be going to Goodreads um, when we're done here and adding them so that I can keep track of when they're actually releasing. Oh, do. And, you know, the one by Cherish Reed I mentioned that's Trust Falling for You is a novella. And it takes place over five days at a team building retreat. Oh, uh, and that one, that one's pretty fun. She saw that one's self-published. The others are out from Karina of hers. But I had a lot of fun reading that one. I will definitely look for that one. I'm always looking for ways, like I said, to kind of get into novellas because they, they always feel a little bit off-putting to me as a reader. So I will definitely check that out. Um, I well, like, you know, kind of diving in for like the long haul. And I, I always feel a little bit frustrated by the, the length of novellas. Well, here are two other, you didn't ask this, but I'm just in, now I'm in recommendation mode. Um, when I was getting ready to write my novellas, I looked up a couple and I read two by Cara Bestone. Um, they're audible only, they're or audible originals anyway. And I loved both of those. There was, um, Sweet Talk was one and the other I think was called Call Me Maybe. And what I really oh, I've loved. I've seen those. Yeah, I think I had seen them, and I just, again, I, I don't do a lot of novellas, so I hadn't bought them, but I did. And um, what I really, really loved about them is they don't try, they're a full story, but they don't try to be a full novel. Like, the ah. story is the story is condensed to what it is. And in the first, well, in both of them, the people get to know each other over the phone. Um, and Ooh. so you're actually, you're hearing, it's very produced, so you're hearing phone calls. And that's largely where their interaction takes place. I mean, you see them doing other things, but... Those are so well done, and I was so drawn into both of those. They're both, um, I think if memory serves, they're both closed door. You know, the people actually only meet, right, you know, physically meet right at the end. But, it's again, it's, it's a short story. It's a shorter story, but it, the story knows what it is. And so you don't feel like you didn't get the whole story because, you know, the whole thing is framed, and this is the story I'm telling you. If that makes I sense. I have so, heard so many good things about Cara Bastone. So I really appreciate you kind of bringing her back to the front of my mind. And I will definitely look for those. Yeah, they were, they were a lot of fun. I really enjoyed both of those. Well, I want to thank you for taking time out of your pre-release day schedule to talk with me about yourself and your books and also just, you know, kind of your own reading. Um, it's been a lot of fun, and I look forward to seeing what you have coming out in the next little while. Well, thank you so much, and have a great rest of the day. And before you dash off, can you let listeners know the best place to find you online? Oh, sure. Well, usually I'm on social media far more than I should be. So uh, <laughs> you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Nick Will Writes, um, N-I-C-W-I-L-L Writes. And then my website is www.denisewilliamswrites.com. And uh, I'm on Facebook, but look for me in other places because I'm not usually on Facebook that much. <laughs> All right. Well, again, we are we were discussing The Fastest Way to Fall by Denise Williams, which will be out on November 2nd. Thank you so much once again. Thank you. Okay. So March was a bit of a contentious month when we were looking at books coming out and who was going to talk about what books on our most anticipated um, releases of March, or as I called it, the March extravaganza. 
So a bunch of those books are coming out today, and I'm going to start out by telling you about them. First off, we have, oh, so many. The Rumor Game by Danielle Clayton and Sana Cherapatra. This was one of my most anticipated March releases. Brooke is very excited about the new Saba Tahir book. This is All My Rage. It is a young adult contemporary as opposed to the young adult fantasy that we are used to seeing from Tahir. And Natalia had a couple of books that she's looking forward to. We have Mr. Wrong Number, which is a rom-com from Lynn Painter. And the latest in the Seanan McGuire Encrypted series, we have Spelunking Through Hell, which I think is an awesome title. So those are books that you've heard us talk about before. So let's move on to some books that we haven't mentioned. I'm going to stay with the theme that was started by Spelunking Through Hell, and we're going to talk about some fantasy here. Um, there is a new urban fantasy series, which is called Mambo Reina, and the first book is called The Quarter Storm. It's by Veronica G. Henry, and this is about a voodoo practitioner in New Orleans who has to solve some ritual murders. I have pre-ordered this. I'm super excited for it. It is The Quarter Storm, Mambo Reina, book one, by Veronica G. Henry. We then have When He's Sinful. This is the third book in the Olympus Pride series by Suzanne Wright. And this is an author that Brooke really, really likes. Um, she has talked about the Deep in Your Vein series that Wright does. She also has talked about the Phoenix Pack. But this one is the Olympus Pride. Um, Wright is an author that I have not read yet, although I do really want to. But if you are more current with her stuff than I am, you might want to check this one out. It's When He's Sinful, Olympus Pride, book one by Suzanne Wright. If young adult fantasy is more your thing, you might be interested in this standalone. This is A Thousand Steps Into Night. It's by Tracy Chi. And it is Japanese-infused fantasy about a girl who is transformed over a period of time into a sort of demon. And as she becomes familiar with her new powers, she, of course, has to go on this quest and learn a lot about like, herself and the new world that she's living in. So this is A Thousand Steps Into Night, and it is by Tracy Chi. We then have a Hunt of Shadows. This is the second book in the Trial of Sorcerers series by Elise Kava. Kava has written some um, like elemental fantasy. Um, there's a book that has been on my TBR pile for a while called Air Awakened. But this is a new series um, that she came out with, I think the first book, right like toward the end of 2021. Um, I don't know a lot about it, although Based on what I've heard about Kava's writing, this is someone that you'll want to check out if you enjoy 
high octane fantasy with some romance, lots of intrigue, great adventure, and a ton of magic. So this is A Hunt of Shadows, Trial of Sorcerers, book two by Elise Kava. Okay, so let's move on to some mysteries here. We have The Night Shift. This is by Alex Finlay. And this is the story of two murders that took place in a small town. These murders are 15 years apart. Now, it's possible that they are connected in some way. I don't know how. You don't know how. If we want to know how, we have to read the book. It is The Night Shift by Alex Finlay. We also have a new book from Louise Candlish. This is The Heights. It is a mystery slash thriller. I'm actually reading it right now. It's full of all sorts of revenge, which of course makes me happy. It's basically about a woman who is looking out over this newly constructed apartment building. And she sees a man on the balcony and she recognizes him. And this is a problem because several years ago, she killed him. So how is he alive? It is The Heights by Louise Candlish. Next up, we have a mystery that could be considered horror by some people. Um, this is Sundial by Katrina Ward. It is about a woman who has worked really hard to escape her past. But there's something that keeps drawing her back home, something that's buried on her family's ranch, which is known as Sundial. This is Sundial by Katrina Ward. We then have The Love of My Life. This is by Rosie Walsh. This is a story of a couple. And the husband, for some reason, is writing his wife's obituary before she has died. I am not sure how this happened or why, um, but he's doing this. And apparently, as he does it, he learns that the woman that he always thought he knew better than anyone else has been hiding a lot of things. This is The Love of My Life, and it's by Rosie Walsh. We also have Girl, on, Girl in Ice. This is by Erica Forensic. You may remember um, Brooke talking about her debut novel, which is River at Night. These are thrillers that take place in nature, so like wilderness, jungle, things like that. Girl in Ice takes place um, in the Arctic, and it's about a child who was found alive, even though somehow she was encased in ice. This is Girl in Ice by Erica Forensic. And if you read People Like Her, which was Ellery Lloyd's kind of breakout thriller, then you'll be happy to know that her second one is out this week. This is The Club, and it asks a question that is asked pretty often in thrillers, and yet so many authors come up with unique answers to this question. So what is the question? Well, what happens when people have everything or nothing to lose, and they're pushed to their limits? This is The Club, by Ellery Lloyd. Turning my attention to some stuff that's historical, 
I want to talk about Woman on Fire. This is by Lisa Barr. It's kind of a historical mystery about art that was looted by the Nazis and apparently trying to figure out like where this came from and why it was taken um, and just what its, what its history is. This is Woman on Fire and it's by Lisa Barr. Then we have Sisters of Night and Fog. This is by Erica Roebuck. I loved Roebuck's um, World War II novel, The Invisible Woman. So this is another World War II novel that traces the lives of two women who met when they were never really supposed to and the way that their meeting changed the lives of countless people. This is... Sisters of Night and Fog by Erica Roebuck. Then we have Until We Meet by Camille DeMeo. Um, I have read one of DeMeo's other books and I, I loved her writing so much. Um, she does really nice dual timeline novels that do a lot of deep explorations into family relationships, love, passion, crime, so many things. So this one takes its root right in the middle of World War II. And apparently we follow three women and we see how their lives intersect and diverge over the course of the war. So this is Until We Meet by Camille de Mayo. And we have The Tobacco Wives by Adele Myers. This takes place in 1946, so World War II is over. And we follow a group of women who live in a small town, and they're starting to realize that the tobacco, that their, their area is so well known for growing, has a lot of a lot of links to some health conditions that are being discovered in, in children and in people who've lived in this area for a long time. So if you like things like Erin Brockovich, this might be something that you want to check out. It is The Tobacco Wives by Adele Myers. Okay, let's talk about some romance. We have Hook, Line, and Sinker. This is the Bellinger Sisters book two by Tessa Bailey. I have never read a Tessa Bailey book, but so many people that I know love her. And so I really want to pick up something she's written. I think I'll start with the previous book in the series, which is It Happened One Summer. But this is about three sisters. Um, the second book is about, I think, the middle sister. And it looks like it's a rom-com um, with that small town feel. I think the older sister is like a Hollywood. She somehow works in Hollywood. Um, I'm not quite sure what the second sister does. But if you like smart rom-coms, I've heard nothing but good things about Tessa Bailey. So this is Hook, Line, and Sinker, The Bellinger Sisters, book two by Tessa Bailey. Lauren Kate is releasing an enemies to lovers rom-com. This is by any other name. And it is about an editor who for a long time has had a virtual relationship with a romance author. And then they meet. Sparks fly. Are they good sparks? Are they sparks of anger? 
Well, if you know the romance genre, you can guess which it is. This is By Any Other Name, and it's by Lauren Kate. And last up, I have Rogue Survivor. This is a Gone Rogue novel um, by Patricia D. Eddy. I'm guessing it fits into a series, but it didn't have a number when I looked at the synopsis. Both Stacy and Sarah really love Patricia D. Eddy for both her paranormal romance and her romantic suspense. This is a romantic suspense novel about a rogue officer of some sort. Apparently he was part of like a special forces kind of thing. And now he is off pursuing something of his own that kind of takes him to romance and danger. Um, people talk a lot about Patricia D. Eddy and her sense of found family. If you love found family novels, um, this is someone that you might want to check out. This is Rogue Survivor. It's a gone rogue novel by Patricia D. Eddy. And that is all I have for you this week. But don't worry, I'll be back again next week to tell you about more great new books. And hopefully you will have read many, many good things between now and then. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Thank you.